the ASCO Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton. My name's uh, Tom Mool. I am um, worked in the, the edtech sector for some years now, currently work at JISC as a product lead for their National Centre for AI. I've recently written a book called Cracking Social Mobility, How AI and Other Innovations Can Help to Level the Playing Field. And I'm really keen to, to talk to you today about that subject and about how we can utilise this technology, artificial intelligence, to address what, what I think is one of um, society's most pressing social problems. And what I find particularly interesting about the book, uh, Tom, is there is something counterintuitive about it because uh, artificial intelligence, technology in general, has been seen as we've gone through the pandemic as something that if you can afford to have it, then good for you. And if you if if you haven't got it, then you will be left behind. But what you're saying is part of the solution, part of the cracking of social mobility is around what artificial intelligence can do for us. Absolutely, yes. And I think you, you've, uh, you're right to raise that sort of um, that contradiction or what might seem to be a contradiction at the start. Um, and, and the mechanism you described is absolutely correct. If this technology is dominated by the haves, then they will accelerate away at a, a greater pace than the, the have-nots. Um, it seems to me actually that that in principle at least there's there's quite an obvious solution there is that we need to make sure that we have that solid baseline of access to digital um digital solutions the the infrastructure the devices themselves the connectivity to make sure that people can use these technologies and that people from all sectors of society can um but once everyone's got access to it that's when i think that this it can really um start um waving that magic wand and, and having that really transformative impact. And I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, ground that a bit by saying that actually, if you look at countries like Uganda, Estonia, where they've invested a lot of effort in making sure that all people have digital access, we didn't see the same impact where um, some people were able to, to race off, the, the, those who are better off were able to race off during the pandemic. So it's not a, it's not an, it's not a theoretical notion. If you, if you solve that sort of ensure there's a strong digital baseline, that's where AI starts to um, have real impact and can transform um, social problems. And one of the points you make in the book, which is about a very long-standing dividing line between, should we say, the haves and the have-nots, is around uh, private tuition, for example, which is very much in the news at the moment. But that notion that actually, in, in the past, if you were going to get your child a private tutor, then if you could afford to do so, you did so. And if you couldn't, you didn't. That AI will be one way that one-to-one personalised tuition starts to become much more accessible. It's a good example where we're not really just talking about technology here, are we? We're talking about something which is changing the dynamics of how, how people can provide for their children. Absolutely, yes. And I think um, I think those underlying reasons why technology can and AI in particular can have such a transformative impact is that it can make high quality and high impact services more affordable and, and readily available to people. And I suppose this is a slightly grandiose metaphor there or, or um, a connection to draw with the, the printing press and this idea that when books were, were hand handmade and handcrafted, handwritten by, uh, largely by monks, Books were out of reach for the vast majority of society. When when Gutenberg invented his printing press, automated the process, they became affordable and literacy spread um, in historical terms relatively quickly. And I think that that's a um, that is 
what I would like to see happen, particularly with things like the private tuition market, that actually not everyone can afford a tutor, but AI solutions like intelligent uh, tutoring systems or adaptive learning platforms have really started to prove their mettle in actually supporting students and giving them that extra bit of, um, of help and guidance and intensive support outside of um, formal education. Um, and we're seeing solutions like Squirrel AI in China, which is an intelligent tutoring system. And we're seeing a lot of the adaptive learning platforms, which I'll talk about um, in a bit, that are having such a big impact in schools, can also have an impact um, with, with students a, on a one-to-one -one basis in their homes as well. Um, and that's something that I'd, I'd really like to see, because I think the current solutions for me on how we address divides in the private tuition sector aren't quite cutting the mustard. I think that the voucher system, I think, is 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 great, but is not enough. They've got questions around providing uh, means-tested vouchers to, system, uh, to students, such as, well, what if richer students just pay more at, for more hours of tutors and claw back their advantage that way? What if some less well-off students just miss out on valid uh, voucher eligibility because you're not quite within that proxy that's used to, to distribute vouchers? What if we can't recruit enough tut uh, tutors to sustain new demand? And what if, uh, you know, wealthier students uh, just end up with the better tutors and, and you become a, there becomes a, a disparity in, in quality rather than access purely? So that is one of the examples, yeah, that I'm really excited about. Um, intelligent tutoring systems to, to, to take that shadow education system out of the shadows and into the light. So, Tom, what I'd like to do is to just explore the, the concept of social mobility and what you uh, define it as, because there's so many different perceptions of that. And some people don't like the phrase social mobility. They like the phrase social justice and so on and so forth. So it'd be good to explore that. Then let's talk about what we mean by artificial intelligence. Um, and then let's start talking about so what, what advantages does it bring for young people, but indeed for the teaching profession as well, because I do think that we're at a point where if you look at the role of being a teacher in the 21st century compared to being, say, a doctor, uh, doctors' lives and nurses' lives have been transformed by technology quite extraordinarily in many cases in a way that I'm not sure has happened for, for, for teachers yet. So if that feels like a reasonable smorgasbord of things for us to discuss, could we start with so social mobility, what it is, why it matters? Absolutely, yes. Um, that sounds great. I think, I mean, I think there are different definitions and people think about social mobility um, differently. I always think about social mobility as it is, it's what happens and what you see in society when people have different opportunities and different chances to develop their own selves based on their socioeconomic circumstances. Um, and the reason we see social mobility, the reason we see more people from uh, from uh, affluent backgrounds in the professions, in the most prestigious roles in society, at universities, um, in the in the most um, what have, what have been called the higher returning apprenticeships, the reason that we constantly see people in these positions is because. Well, we see this disparity of the people in the, these positions is because there are different opportunities um, to people from different backgrounds. And I think there's a sort of common misconception that social mobility is some kind of comp competing ideal to 
um, equality and social justice. But in reality, it is it is part of the story of of um, of social justice. I like to think about this in terms of your your background should be as irrelevant to your progress as the day of the week on which you were born. <laughs> I don't know if there's yeah. any statistics on this, but I imagine if you said, well, what percentage, what what fraction, let's, let's make it easier for ourselves, what fraction of high court judges were born on a Friday, what fraction of CEOs were born on a Friday, what fraction of people at Oxford were born on a Friday, you'd probably find that it was one over seven. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to find that out. It's a really interesting but point, because, of course, that doesn't apply if you do it by month. I imagine it wouldn't apply by month. No, uh, Mal- Malcolm, no I Malcolm think there's there Mal- slight Malcolm, seasonal changes there. Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, in what, one of his books, I can't remember, points out that I think it's something like the Canadian hockey team has a much higher proportion of people born in January. Uh, and it's to do with... with the the age selection or something anyway let me not get into that because i'm probably i'm taking us down a rabbit hole no that sounds great well we take we take i definitely like i'll go away and look that up and if i can't find it i'll i'll come back to you but that 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 sounds very interesting but you wouldn't find that same pattern if you looked at you know people in at oxbridge people at high court judges and in ceos you wouldn't find that one seventh of them came from the bottom seventh by household income of society, you would find that far more than one seventh came from the top seventh of um, of household income, and that's that's deeply unfair. That means that the deck the deck is stacked against some and in favour of others, and and it's addressing that unfairness, which is important. And I think the way that we address that problem is by the root is is by looking at the roots of the problem, which is people have different levels of opportunity. I think that's the kind of that's reasonably abstract way of looking at it, but I think it is important to kind of pin down the 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 ideals behind it. Just some just some statistics to kind of back up. Well, what does it actually mean tangibly for people? I mean, one that's um, really quite quite staggering is that before the pandemic, the gap in educational outcomes between the poorest students and their better off peers was shortening at such a glacial pace that it would have taken over a hundred years to close that gap. And and the situation is now likely to be a lot worse. Uh, there are statistics from the, um, I think it's the Education Policy Institute showing that there's a 4.3 month um, gap in development at the start of school between le- the least well-off students and their better off peers. And that grows to 9.4 months at the end of primary and 18.4 months at the end of secondary. Um, and, and perhaps if you're, if you're for some reason, uh, you're not convinced by those that that, that is a big issue, um, perhaps the, a slightly more pragmatic pull for the social mobility agenda might be the, the finding from the Sutton Trust and the Bolton Consultancy Group that significant increases in social mobility could lead to a 4% rise in GDPR for, for the UK, which you know would, would obviously come with significant spending power for the Treasury um, and could have a transformative impact on, on, on the well-being of all people throughout society, not just those who you might describe as socially mobile. Yeah, and it's not just that economic point, is it? It's that spirit level point that those societies that have managed to narrow that gap tend to be more at ease with themselves in all kinds of ways in terms of well-being. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so we've got we've got a sense of social mobility, why it matters. Uh, let's just remind ourselves about artificial intelligence because I think we. Yeah, often trot out the, uh, the the initials AI, and it would just be useful to get your your view of qu- quite what it means. 
Absolutely. So the, the broad definition of AI is any technology that can do things that would usually require human intelligence. So that's defining by, by function rather than how it works under the bonnet. And so this includes systems that match a person's face with a passport picture that you know many people have used at um, uh, when they're leaving or entering a country, the technologies that can drive a car from A to B, uh, translate one language into another, and even diagnose um, certain medical conditions such as eye diseases. So these technologies are doing things that are are clever. They would they need when humans do them they they need intelligence to do those um and that's that's the sort of the very broad umbrella definition but a, a more focused definition of ai is um technologies that can learn through inference from data and and this is what we mean by machine learning so a quick example there is that if you wanted to create a program that could recognize a dog in a picture and say that's a dog that's not a dog. You might want to go try and go about that by writing a set of rules. And you might find out pretty quickly that you end up with rules such like, oh, it's got to be somewhere between, uh, you know, 12 inches high and six foot high when you uh, when it stands on all fours. It's, it's either, you know, very lean with uh, pointy ears or it's got very floppy ears and is very fluffy. It's it's round shaped. It's long. It's thin. It's, you know, there's there's so many different varieties and the reality is the reason that, that we as humans can tell if something is a dog or not is is tacit knowledge based on you know a lot of experience and that's how you can teach a, a machine to turn what is a dog and isn't if you feed a program huge numbers of data points of of images that are either a dog or not a dog it can start to use that data and what we mean by that is the sort of the data related to the pixels so the pixel itself and how that pixel relates to other pixels and say, ah, okay, when these patterns hold, it's a dog, when these patterns don't. And, and how it finds those patterns, that's, you know, that's the very complicated stuff. That's the machine learning. And, and so that's, that's, um, that's, that's what we mean. And I think in the context of education, we are, we, I think the broad definition is, is very useful. Um, intelligent machines but it's also useful to think about well how is how is it working underneath the bonnet as well fantastic that now there's a whole uh, hinterland we could talk about there because the implication of that is there are certain jobs humans are doing now which frankly uh are, are the, the robots are going to do better and it's interesting because you you hint at one of those um, i've just, just just finished reading hannah fry's book um hello world how to be a how oh, to be human book, in the yes. age of the machine and she points out that it that the ability of AI to read um, uh, pictures of uh, potential cancers, the machines will now do it better than than human beings. So it's an example of where what we had thought was a very very highly skilled job, but is actually it is it is highly skilled, but it's a repetitive kind of job. Making a judgment, the robots might actually do better than us. So there's a, there's lots we could talk about on that, but instead let's stick soundly to education. So. So what could this do as it starts to open up the world in terms of young people and starting to narrow in the gaps? Absolutely. So um, I think what I'll do is I'll just go, go through a, a kind of the smorgasbord of, of what AI there is out there in technology in education and, and what's growing and then think about well how can that solve some specific problems um, so we've got one example is is chatbots and chatbots uh, 
these are things that students and staff can use to, to type, to ask questions and get information back. And, and one of the key examples here is, and you mentioned repetitiveness, is that it can save time for teachers and other educators based on that cutting the volume of, of repetitive administrative things to do. And there's a lot, there's a growing number of, of chatbots that are available. So Ada at Bolton College is uh, a great example. There's uh, Beacon at Staffordshire University and another chatbot called Taylor that the Open University use. And that specialises in supporting um, students around their accessibility needs. Um, adaptive learning platforms and intelligent tutoring platform, uh, tutoring systems are another bucket of AI solutions in education. And these are, are fantastic at delivering personalised and responsive learning to students. So as students learn on these platforms, they can adapt the learning experience. So this might mean the, the route through um, a particular course. So saying, well, we'll start uh, with this topic in maths, but then we'll move on to this topic and this topic based on how um, what a student needs to learn and, and how they learn best and how those things fit together and for particularly for a, for a student it can deliver it can change and adapt how it delivers content so what kind of material is best at supporting students um, and it can it can also provide that very sort of granular level individualized feedback to students as well and, and the kind of nudges to support them on their journey um, and and adaptive learning platforms are, are you know, are, are kind of perhaps past the foothills in their in their journey um, towards acceleration across the sector, and we're seeing a lot of colleges and schools that are making use of AI-based um, platforms. Um, another bucket, another very exciting one, is is the use of predictive analytics, um, and this is all about that uh, churning through the the data produced by. Um, schools, colleges, universities to find patterns such as, you know, patterns that can inform people about, well, which students are most likely to fail a course or drop out or, or underachieve relative to expectation. Um, a really interesting example there is the, the GPS system at Georgia Tech, which is used to identify students who might fail their, you know, um, fail a particular course. And I think a really interesting thing about it is it's then once that need has been identified, that need to act is is established. It goes back to the the humans that the, the the human in the loop, the the educators, the pastoral teams to actually to do those. Um, and there's there's a lot of other platform um, varieties. There's a lot out there that and I'll kind of weave those in throughout. Um, but just going back to the, the the key question there, which is well, what what can it what can AI in education do from a social mobility perspective. Um, I'd, I'd break that up in terms of a few constituent problems that AI can help to solve. Um, so one is that students from a lower, so, uh, lower socioeconomic background tend to achieve poorer outcomes in compulsory education. Uh, this has a lot to do um, with students being less likely to be represented at the best state schools and much less likely to be going to private schools. Um, the, a second bucket of, well, a second problem is the one we've discussed around private education and that uh, private tuition and that disparity in access um, outside of the classroom. There's the early years issue, so that, that uh, million word gap, developmental gap that grows at a very early age. Um, Issues with lifelong learning, um, I, which is a fairly common sense that if a lifelong learning is 
expensive and prohibitively so, then gaps will only grow wider throughout the life cycle. And then there's also, a, a, a which I'll touch on, is and it's more of a data issue than a, an AI per se issue, is around how we judge and predict and and anticipate talent, um, which I think is is having a having an adverse impact on students. Um, so um, it would be useful. I've talked at you for a bit there. Is, is there any of those in particular that you think would be really interested to, to dive into and talk in in depth? Um. I, I, I probably wouldn't, Tom, because I think what you've done is you, you, you've mapped out issues and you probably want people to buy your book and, and have a look at, at it. But, I mean, it, it raises all kinds of long-term issues about what, why, in particularly in England, where we're so obsessed with an examination system, are we not having a look at the way in which adaptive assessments are going to make it easier for young people not just to know what they've achieved, but to be able to get more granular feedback on what they need to do to do even better. I mean, there's some extraordinary opportunities here and i think the fact that you're able to show that there are places doing that already uh, mean it takes this from being science fiction into uh, an inevitable next step yeah absolutely um um and and i i do hope it's it's it, it will be that next step because it certainly isn't a, a, a fictitious um potential this that ai can do and i, I think it'd be worth talking it in, in um in a bit of depth about some of those and, and particularly around what ai can do from a from a teaching and learning perspective um yeah let's face, I, let's, let, let's just just focus on that before we finish absolutely so i think one of the things that ai can do to support teaching and learning and to make sure that students from all backgrounds can can expect and get an outstanding quality of teaching and learning is 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 some of the quite prosaic stuff that's going to be most powerful there. So there, there's, you know, I'm, you know, both of us, uh, you're a very, very experienced educator and I'm, uh, I have, I have been a teacher and I think both of us know that, uh, one of the, one of the issues that's really hampering the teaching profession is, is workload. And that is making the teachers in the classroom, less effective than they could be because the, the huge stress and burdens placed on them. It's meaning that teachers who were in the classroom yesterday aren't necessarily going to be in the classroom today, which is, is sort of reducing the number of great teachers that students have access to. And that's having a particularly uh, damaging impact on students from lower uh, socioeconomic backgrounds who are more likely to suffer from uh, recruitment and retention crisis and the re recruitment and retention crisis. And, and yes, I've mentioned the third one before uh going for it but yes the, the recruitment it makes that it makes it harder to recruit people in because you've got this huge workload issue and um there are a number of ways that ai can help to address that so when we're talking about the administrative side of of teachers time which um granted is is not always the the largest part of their work but does um does you know add add to the work toll there are digital assistants there and they can be used to help teachers to collate data that they need to draw insights out from the information uh, to make sure there's there's no more of this this uh, arduous cumbersome data inputting and and all of those kind of very administrative tasks there are you know digital assistants are playing a huge role in actually reducing the amount of time spent on that obviously that's not the only thing that teachers spend their time on a lot of it is about um, planning and reviewing and, and giving feedback and I think we 
what we definitely don't want to do is we don't want to take the teacher out the loop in in the feedback and engaging directly with students work but there are ways that we can actually a cut the amount of time that teachers have to spend doing that and b actually make sure that they're using the time they are using more effectively so ai systems can be very good at marking your um your more basic bits of work so you're the kind of one mark questions two mark questions single answer questions yes no and uh, multiple choice very effective but we're also starting to see signs that ai can um, be used to, to give feedback and give some kind of judgment on on, on written responses as well so there's a there's a um, a, a system in development called FirstPass that, that Bolton, Univers uh, Bolton College have developed as well which is, is very good for that um, and there's there is this promise that actually AI can be good can will in the future have a key role to play in actually providing um, providing feedback and, and providing support in actually assessing and evaluating students' written work. I don't, I don't expect and personally don't want that to be used for a summative context, but used to make sure that actually some of that workload can be removed. And there's, there's also, um, we're also seeing technologies that can play a role in content creation and curation as well. Again, teachers have to take, keep this kind of the strategic side of that, and it's, it's up to a teacher to plan, well, how does a lesson align with the goals that you want for your students but actually if it's a case of, of generating a few um, bits of content that can have a that can have a really key impact as well there's a, a statistic which i find quite heartening from mckinsey and company which says that if you took all the technologies that we currently have at our disposal and use them to solve the issue of teacher workload you could cut workload by 20 to 40 percent and i think that would have a massive impact on teacher efficacy, on teacher recruitment, on teacher retention, and, and teacher well-being as well, which is you know hugely important. Um, that that's one of the areas. That I think that's all really uh, incredibly incredibly optimistic stuff, Tom. And just 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 as a final reflection, the last chapter in your book is called "Where Technology Is Not the Answer." So what we're not saying is the robots are going to replace every human being here. We're, we're, what's the what's the, uh, the the thesis of that last chapter where technology is not the answer well i mean one of the key bits and that i would say and i think the, the the crux of that chapter is that we're not going to address the issue we're not going to solve social mobility unless we really roll our sleeves up and and deal with the problem of child poverty and this goes back to where we started our conversation about um divides in during the the pandemic and and i i sort of answered that question by saying that well it is possible to give every student a laptop with a good internet connection so if we do that bob's your uncle but that's not the whole story and 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 a big part of the the divide was that some students, particularly the most disadvantaged, were living in, in cramped um, conditions, didn't have the space to learn, that weren't in a conducive environment. That's just one of the problems that, 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 uh, that child poverty gives rise to. Um, it is, I think it is, it's a stain on society and unless, whilst we can, we can certainly level up opportunity with artificial intelligence, we're not going to um, create a, a truly level playing field if, if some students don't have uh, enough ha, don't have the money to to live what we, we should expect as a, a basic standard of life in a, in a wealthy uh, first world country so I, I would just end by saying yes AI can do a lot and I'm hugely optimistic about what we can achieve in terms of 
social mobility, equality of opportunity with AI and other technologies. But um, there are other issues. Child poverty is that sort of the, that bet noir that hangs over the, the social mobility problem. Um, yes. Absolutely. It was an incredibly optimistic book. Uh, Tom, an incredibly thought-provoking one, Cracking Social Mobility by Tom Morland. Tom, thanks so much for your time in talking us through it now. Thank you very much for your time as well, Jeff. It's been a, a great spirited discussion. The Ask Leaders Reading Podcast with Jeff Barton.